You're listening to The Doers Podcast, right here on The Doers Network. And now, here's your host, Donald Robinson II. Well, welcome everyone to The Doers Network. I'm Donald Robinson II, your host. And on the line, we have Mr. Kwaku Osei, founder and creator of Cooperative Capital. We're going to be talking about Cooperative Capital, so please tune in, keep your ears close to the speaker. So, Mr. Osei, how are you? Man, hey, man. Good evening. I, I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing wonderful, man. Thank you for asking, man. So, welcome to the Doers oh, Network. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, appreciate you being on here, man. It's going to be a great pleasure, great conversation. And so, the first question I want to ask you is, who is Kwaku Osei? Where are you from? And where were you raised? Mm, okay. Hey, man, so who am I? Um, great question. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm originally from Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, you know, I would end up growing up there and then uh, would find myself in Richmond, uh, Virginia, for a college. I moved to Detroit in 2013, uh, summer 2013, uh, as Trey was kind of going through his bankruptcy and uh, – I've kind of been in Detroit since, but uh, who am I, man? I, I, if I had to answer that question, man, I would label uh, myself uh, an economic freedom fighter. Okay. Uh, Someone that is really trying to uh, uh, leverage the experiences I've had to help people access new opportunities uh, that will enable them a certain type of economic freedom that I think would actually uh, allow people to be more secure in themselves and be able to enjoy life the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, that sounds great, man. So what is Cooperative Capital? What, what What's the line of your business in terms of that? Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, so Cooperative Capital, man, is an organization that we created to help set up community-based farms. And what we do is, uh, uh, what we attempt to do with each of these community-based farms really is we enable residents to pull their money together in one big pot, and as one collective unit, invest those monies in several opportunities uh, throughout the whole community. So it's about uh, creating a situation where residents can come together to collectively invest and build up the community in a way that everyone benefits. And, and to be clear, with the Cooperative Capital Fund, we, uh, though we are the fund manager, unlike other funds, we don't make decisions on where that money is going to go. Uh, we are, you could almost look at us as facilitators, if you would, right? So we just aggregate our residents, we enable them to pool their money, and then within our framework, and we support them every step of the way, but ultimately, they collectively will identify, they will collectively vote on, and we will do due diligence, but then they will ultimately collectively invest in the different opportunities they deem to be best for their community. So if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like, you guys are like fiduciaries, but then you leave it up to the community to choose what they want to invest in or support, correct? Yeah, um, that's not too far off. But yeah, we, we, we effectively are fund manager, right? So if you think about uh, your typical private equity firm, we have basically created that and just made it accessible to the typical resident okay, um, or to the typical person, I should say, right? And, and, and the difference, though, is that you look at most fund managers and – uh, there's a model that we adhere to in which fund managers basically say, look, I've, I've been in this space for so many years, or I'm an extremely smart person, I went and did this, that, and the third, and I can pick losers and winners um, through investments, right? And we're basically saying, uh, 
Uh, because actually, if you look at the track record of most fund managers, the data um, suggests that they actually can't. Yeah. Um, so anyway, what we're saying is who better to say we should be in the community than the community? Right. And then second, uh, you know, uh, we believe if you have a large base of people all collectively investing in their backyard, you can then leverage that large base of people to actually activate growth of the investments they collectively make, right? So if you and I, let's say, go 10 grand in the middle of the table together, we're, uh, and, and now we're investing together, we're probably going to support uh, that thing that we just invested in, right? So that's that's the type of thing that, you know, we're, we're, we're enabling. Well, let me ask you this. Let's say, okay, you find a community group that's going to look at investing in different, you know, projects or ideas. So do you, do you and your cooperative capital team, do you all like give them knowledge on, cause they may not know anything about hedge fund investing or investing period. Do you guys, do you That's all give right. them like a, like a, a brief synopsis on what it means and, and explain some things to them as well? That's, that's a beautiful question. So yeah, it's been a heck of a journey. Man. I started cooperative capital back in August, 2016. I've learned a tremendous amount. And, and one of the major things I learned was how big a problem uh, financial literacy is. And oh, yeah. so uh, what we uncovered, man, I, you know, quite frankly, I was naive to the extent of the problem. Yeah. We did a survey uh, here in Detroit and Richmond, Virginia, and uh, with 300 residents, and we uncovered that according to our standards, over 80% of residents in Detroit were financially literate. So then that, that got us to start doing research. And what we uncovered is that actually there are a number of reports that suggest that uh, nationwide, two-thirds of Americans are financially literate. Yep. And what we found is that that number uh, uh, will typically be rather dramatically increased in deep urban and rural communities. And so uh, as a result of that, man, um, we began a financial education program uh, called Get Financially Lit. That is a program that is still uh, in development and progress, but uh, I'm very happy to share that we have really, really strong partners such as uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, that is lending us uh, some information. Uh, Junior Achievement in Michigan is looking into uh, joining this effort. Uh, we've talked with several uh, banks and financial uh, institutions that are now exploring that, and that includes uh, First Independence Bank, One Detroit Credit Union uh, here. And then there are several organizations across the nation um, that we've spoken to about potentially joining in in this effort. Um, in any event, the idea is that uh, if people don't understand the basics of finance and money and invest, uh, if they don't understand the basis of money, they, they, they probably don't understand the basis of investing. Right. And if they don't, and investing, this demand and interest, that is not money that we want to take. We don't, if you don't fully comprehend what you're getting yourself into when you're about to become a resident investor in cooperative capital, uh, we don't, we don't want your money because, uh, uh, those are the people uh, that um, there, there are all types of potential complications. And quite frankly, not only is it the right thing to do to educate people, basically puts them in a situation where they can make an informed decision. And outside of that, um, what we do before we allow an investment to happen through one of our funds is uh, the cooperative capital team does due diligence. Okay. Our due diligence um, effort is one that is not, as in-depth or as intense as what you might see uh, with other funds. But we do do a, a background check on the respective opportunity and operator 
or the person that might be receiving that investment to ensure that, you know, more or less be checked out and that there is a realistic pathway uh, for that respective opportunity to produce a return back to those investors. And, and, and what we do is at the end of our uh, due diligence, present the findings to the investors. Um, and if it doesn't reach a certain threshold um, to our standards, we basically kind of force, uh, we kind of do a force veto, if you would. And in that situation, if the community still wants to make that investment, they can do that outside of the cooperative capital fund of their own accord. Um, but, you know, we, we, we through cooperative capital have a mission, a mission. And, uh, you know, we have certain goals and we are, we're trying our best to really deliver a good experience. And so these are some of the safeguards we put in place to, to try to, to do that. And, um, and you know what I, you know what I like about what you all are doing is it's, it's, you're putting, it's like you're empowering people, educating people, and then put it into action. Because what it is is that you're, you're showing them if they don't know anything about the money system in America, you're showing them that and then say, okay, well, here's an example. Let's show you how to invest in X, Y, and Z. And so then people, as opposed to, you know, just retain the information, they can put it to good use and put it into action. And that's a, a, a very unique and very innovative way to get community involvement because that's, you know, Detroit has been starving and void of this kind of community investment for so long because this population, like you said, because it's 80% financially literate, they tend to look for other sources like banks, the government, and other sources of, of funding to do things for them. But now you, you, you and your team are giving them the tools to empower themselves and learn about how the dollar works in America. And I think that for, you know, for the urban population, that's been the biggest missing piece of all because we, yeah, we have mm. businesses in the city. Um, we've had mom and pop stores that have lasted for decades, but you know, how many times have you heard that a business goes under because of financial mismanagement or mismanagement of the company? Right. Now you have a, a now people out here listening, you have a tool here in Detroit to have the wherewithal to withstand the economic cycles up and downs and have a long lasting thriving business and cooperative entity of a community. So I commend you all for that. Quaker. Well, yes, that's, that's great. That's great, man. Thank you. Now that was, that was extremely um, beautifully put Donald. Um, so I appreciate that, man. What, what we've come across so often, and I know you've heard this um, yourself is so Detroit is currently under a new uh, surge. Some would even call it a renaissance. Yeah. Uh, but it's definitely a major resurgence, right? And what we've heard more often than not is that there are a lot of people that feel like they are effectively uh, now sitting on the sidelines, right. effectively window shoppers of their community. And instead of being able to participate in this great resurgence, yeah. And so, uh, really, um, and, and, and by the way, I should mention that this is not, unfortunately, it's not unique to Detroit. I think Detroit is just a, a very strong and visible example of this, given uh, Detroit's recent history. Right. And then Detroit's, uh, if you think about Detroit's long history, it, it makes Detroit significant. So it's made it that much more of an a, a, a example to uphold and look at. And so... Uh, so yeah, man, we're 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 extremely excited about uh, bringing people together towards this end because again, we we do believe that there is more than enough room for all of us to participate in this thing, and we think that the more people that are participating, ultimately, 
uh, a better off this city is going to be. Yep. And the more of us that come together to invest as, as invest, uh, uh, we're going to have a larger group of people that are, are not only going to be able to benefit from that, but you, you, when you look at, uh, let me take that back almost, look at any community where uh, wealth or uh, community assets or money is more evenly distributed, and you basically have a very healthy community. When you look at shared ownership, um, the few places where this exists in the U.S., and then there are many more places across the world, uh, maybe the best example of this type of activity would be uh, in Spain with uh, 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 say wrong. But I think it's Manjagroon, yeah. uh, a major kind of cooperative um, in the Basque region of Spain. Um, you know, during economic downturns, these are places that are typically extremely resilient. At times, they are almost not, uh, they're almost unaffected because yeah. they're so connected. And whenever there's an investment locally or something is birthed from local um, from a local uh, uh, entrepreneur. Those entrepreneurs are typically uh, more supportive of uh, local initiatives, nonprofits. The, uh, their money, their dollars spend uh, circles throughout that community more. Yeah. And so uh, it creates this kind of virtuous cycle. And that's the type of uh, dynamic that we're trying to bring to the forefront, not only in Detroit, but we're starting here in Detroit. And we're very excited about what we're going to be doing here in the very near future. And would you say that this is a national problem in the U.S. as well? Man, it's it's not only a national problem, man, it's a global problem. Yeah. And so now, uh, <laughs> if you actually look on them, there was a report that came out uh, right after the new year. That report suggested that there are now 26 people, 26 billionaires, that have half of the world's money. Yeah. 26 yeah. people that now have as much money as 3.8 billion people. And that, to me, is a tall tale sign that there is something because you know this has been we've always had the saying right the rich get richer, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. But this is now a tall tale sign that there is something uh, that's amiss um, yep. because that is just uh, uh, it's not natural. Um, right. This type of uh, uh, consolidation and man, what I see in Detroit and, and increasingly in more cities, man, is what we have is a few really uh, – we have a, a very small amount of really big players, yep. and then we have a large amount of small players. Right. And what I call it, man, is uh, – I call it economic cartilage. Okay. It's not healthy, man. It's bone against bone. Yeah. Because, you know, in a place like Detroit and other places that have a similar dynamic, and this is becoming uh, more of the norm, you have basically uh, 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 people that have the resources. They are become basically gatekeepers. They get to fund those things that they want to support and so on and so forth. And you have a bunch of people that are just trying to either escape by or try to get off the ground. Yeah. In any event, um, we really, we really, oh, uh, you look at any healthy economy, man, they're always, there's always a major benefit to having a middle layer, which we typically call the middle class. And at the moment, man, the middle class has been eroding. Oh, yeah. Uh, not only in America, but across the world. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I would also add to that. There's always prosperity and economic diversity, just like we talk about population diversity. Economic diversity is just as important, if not more, because the more people that are investing, contributing, the dollars circulating in the neighborhoods and communities, that provides for a prosper. It's like a it's like a ripple effect. It, it in that community benefits, yes, 
And then the community outside of that benefits. Next thing you know, a state benefits and then the whole country benefits. And I think that yes, sir. with a movement like this, that can help turn the tide and make that happen. Um, so so then with Cooperative Capital, what are, what are all the services you all provide? Yeah, uh, so at the moment, man, it is basically just helping to set up these type of community-based funds. Uh, we are starting where we are, um, given everything that we've learned along this journey. Um, so really, it's, it's kind of uh, we're, we're doing a bit of financing through our uh, uh, financial lit program, which is going to be primarily online-based. There will be some in-person workshops, but that's all to support getting people to our repository and the wealth of information that we'll have uh, done online. And that's going to be a, a, a kind of um, – we're using the online platform so that it's more accessible. And we understand that not everyone has access to the Internet, so we're trying to get smart about that. Uh, uh, but ultimately, man, that's going to be a program that meets you where you are no matter what level of financial knowledge you have. Okay. So it's going to be extremely sensible. The way we are uh, basically uh, uh, developing and crafting the curriculum and the content is we are gearing it up such that a seventh grader uh, will be able to understand it. That's about 12-year-old. And, and, uh, and the way we're thinking at the moment is if a 12-year-old can understand it and comprehend it, uh, everyone older should be able to do the same. And we'll base that out there and we uh, roll it out and get in front of more people will allow kind of um, data uh, and, you know, statistics that we're able to draw as we start to, you know, test the efficacy uh, to, to, to um, help us understand where we're, whether we're right about that assumption or not. Um, but that's one thing. Uh, so it's education. And then man, it's really just a facilitation of bringing people together. Uh, for a lot of people, this might be the first time they hear about cooperative capital. Yeah. But ultimately, man, um, you know, it's, it's about we're basically just trying to uh, help community build community and so really we're just trying to become a supporter and facilitator of anyone that's interested and any group that's interested in investing locally okay. and uh, you'll see that uh, whereas before we've been pretty committed to trying to launch funds we're going to be taking a step back man and, and we're really just going to be supporting uh folks that you know there might be for instance uh, a neighborhood block club that really wants to come together to try to invest hyper local within their own neighborhood yeah and uh, with this new strategy, uh, uh, there will be some enablement of us being able to help facilitate and support them towards that end. Oh, sounds great, man. So what, what inspired you to start your business? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so briefly, man. Um, uh, so part of it is, is, is from my upbringing, right? So background-wise, I'm from Ghana. Um, and in Ghana, we have an extreme kind of uh, sense of community, right? right? But even when I was growing up in Alexandria, man, I grew up uh, uh, public housing, Section 8. And uh, growing up, man, in Alexandria at the time, I felt that there was a strong sense of community. Yeah. And it appears, you look at um, America, man, you look back even just at footage, man. You look at like footage in the 60s, 50s, 70s, even there felt like there was a strong sense of community. Even I, you know, talked to elders. I know everyone was nostalgic about the past. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, a bit of uh, kind of making uh, our previous memories a little more rosy than they maybe were. But nonetheless, there is actual, like, you know, research that suggests that, quite frankly, America used to be 
more community centric, a bit more than they are now. Yeah. It appears with, you know, every passing decade, the bonds between us within our community have been weakening. So even if you look at uh, certain uh, organizations, you know, uh, think about our YMCA's, for instance, those used to be big organizations that over time started to get less and less support. Even think about our institutions like the churches and they're, that they are, you know, getting declining membership and so forth. So you think about the different organizations or groups that used to be the glue and the fabric um, that underpinned our communities, and a lot of them have kind of weakened. Um, and I, I think overall we've become more individualistic, man. And I will tell you, uh, for me, I thought with the Great Recession that that feeling of a sense of community all but disappeared. Yeah. And so that, for me, whether right or wrong, whether I'm right or wrong about this, I feel that some of this is because of our economic situation. In other words, I think that a lot of people are in financial precarious situations where they're economically unsecure. So despite people wanting to potentially be more socially and civically involved, are they going to be able to, uh, be able to be in their house next year? Yeah. Or are they going to be able to pay you know certain bills? That trumps everything else. Yeah. And so in any event, um, uh, part of uh, the inspiration for cooperative capital was uh, I feel that a lot of us are trying to solve for our economic well-being and our financial security on our own by ourselves. So you think about our households, um, and a lot of our households, money was not commonly spoken about right? to, to our detriment. So right. in any event, um, a lot of us are basically dealing with these issues, and we're stressed out about it, and we're dealing with it on our own. And I feel uh, that that is... You know, there are smart people that are going to figure it out, but I also feel, especially in the world that we're going to be entering in the very near future, that there are many more people that may not. And in any event, um, I felt that if we came together to try to solve for economic well-being together, uh, there are a lot of people that are basically trying to solve for their own economic well-being on their own. Yeah. And I feel that, you know, there are some smart people that are going to figure that out. I think that especially the world that we're entering, there are many more people that may not. Yeah. And basically, man, I, I just started, you know, kind of realized that uh, not only would it be better to come together because to, to, to come together to start to solve some of the problems that we all share, we'd probably be able to actually figure it out amongst each other. But then by coming together, there are some true opportunities to unlock. Yeah. Uh, one of them that I kind of referenced earlier, man, in which if you think about like um, being able to invest, man, like uh, there are a lot of people that want to invest locally, uh, but not only is there not a meaningful outlet to do so, um, if you wanted to or convenient to do that, but most people are not in a position to be able to invest locally on their own, right? Right. We can't do on our own. We can do together. In other words, you think about Detroit, man, and there are tons of properties for sale here, right? There are a ton of blighter properties, right? When everyone has the the five hundred to two thousand um, dollars to put down to buy a property, right? Right. But not everyone has the fifty to eighty thousand dollars plus that it's going to take to actually rehabilitate that property and make it productive again. Right. So when we when we don't have our own, if we come together, we do have right, and that that's the type of stuff. That we're trying to lock. So that that was some of the inspiration, man. Other than that, it was it was just based on my experiences, man. I kind of just 
uh, you know, I worked at Deloitte Consulting. That's where I started my career, where I primarily uh, consulted for federal agencies. Uh, thereafter, uh, when I moved to Detroit, I was uh, I used to work with Dan Gilbert on special projects. Okay. Uh, I had an amazing experience working with him. I learned a tremendous amount. He was uh, essentially a mentor to me, and we, we ended up getting so close, we co-founded a company together. In any event, after, uh, after that, I joined a local government contracting firm in D.C., and basically back to back to back, man, I had seen, I got to see our system um, from three different angles in such a way that I couldn't unsee things I saw. And what I saw challenged my understanding of the way uh, capitalism is meant to work and operate. Sure. Uh, what I witnessed with my first hand, uh, uh, with my own eyes, was a system that in a lot of ways, um, and I don't think this is a surprise to anyone, uh, it's just that I saw it then, so I could, I could no longer ignore it. Right, it's one thing to kind of be aware of something and to have an inkling that something is happening. It's a whole other thing to see it right in front of you. Yeah. Um, and even I basically saw a system that I believe is co-opted. So I think when we think about capitalism, um, I don't believe what's currently being practiced in America is. Uh, well, you look at any 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 um, any uh, 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 country and any system they adhere to. I don't think we've seen a pure form of capitalism practiced in this country. Right. Um, at least not in modern history. But nonetheless, uh, this third capitalism is it's not it's not even through the principles and tenets of what capitalism is meant to stand for. So in any event, um I saw that firsthand and I just I, I felt like something needed to be done about it. And this cooperative capital is not a silver bullet. But I do think it creates at least an outlet and a vehicle uh, to not only enable more people to participate in today's economy uh, and prepare them for tomorrow's economy, uh, but that it, it, it unlocks some uh, uh, some social cohesion yep. um, that I think is extremely important. And there, there was a report, and excuse me for rambling, <laughs> but there was a report that came out about a month and a half ago now uh, that spoke to loneliness in america yeah and that report suggested that loneliness in america is now at epidemic quote-unquote epidemic levels yeah and the most surprising thing in that report man was i think we we've always known in our society that we've kind of have disrespected our elders or at least not paid the attention that we perhaps should right uh but the most surprising thing was so they because we basically have ignored them but the most surprising thing in this report man was they found that generation z which is the generation after millennials reported to be lonelier than elders. Yeah. And that, that speaks to an alarming issue because these people are now basically teenagers and young adults. Yeah. I, 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 I can't even fathom how they could feel that they're lonely. I could, I could assume that I could point to some things that may have come into the picture more recently that could potentially have created this situation. But it's still hard for me to wrap around a young, uh, wrap around in my mind, a young person feeling lonely. Yeah. It's just it's sad. So, in any event, um, that was part of the motivation for this as well. Okay. I, just, I, I don't think this is a silver bullet, man, but I do think it solves at least a couple of the problems, a couple of major problems that we're seeing in communities across our nation. And so, we're, we're going after it to address it. Well, that's great. I think, um, to add to that, then you have the issue of the advancement of advanced technology, the fact that kids can 
bury their face in a phone or a tablet, don't have to talk to anybody. Um, they 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 have a, a penchant for the the content that they see, where it's just so much. You know, it's, it's you know YouTube have millions of videos. You know, v, uh, Vimeo has billions of videos. So it's like they're preoccupied with something that that is not part of their real existence, but ignoring everything around them. So that lends to some of that isolation as well. But it's like they're being affected because they're most impressionable. They're the youngest. And but everybody's right. affected about it because if you go anywhere in any cafe, restaurant, any street, whatever, you, you see people constantly checking their phones. I mean, I've, I've gotten to the point I do that That's a right. lot, too. I mean, we all do it now. That's right. And That's so right. that lends to some of this <laughs> epidemic as well. But I think what you the advantage of what you all are doing with cooperative capital is you're taking those same tools and use them to bring them back to the community because, you know, let's face it, finance is high tech. Now you have your on the, on, you know, on the, on time, real time type of, you know, analysis of stock markets and things like that. But you also have a, a, a drive to say, Hey, you know, we know that you all may not know this kind of language in terms of financial literacy, but we're here to show you something at least to help you, craft a household budget or, or maintain your credit or be able to get a loan or something because it's, it's very crucial. Now you're right because there is a bigger divide as, as the days go on in our society, there's a bigger divide for the haves and the have nots. And this, it, it won't solve, like you say, it won't solve everybody's problem, but it can help plug the hole in the leaking boat. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's exactly what we believe, man. And, and we believe that as we go in that direction, um, as there are more people that kind of uh, be uplifted through this, uh, there are more people that are able to then, uh, you know, each one reach one, lift one up type thing. Yeah. So it creates more of that possibility. And then as more people get educated, generally speaking, I mean, education is power, right? Oh, yeah. Um, education implied is, I should say, is power. But without, I mean, the lack of, you know, there's there's a whole you know, uh, uh, saying, you know, uh, uh uh, for lack of knowledge, my people perish. And that's what we see throughout the world, man. That's what we see, especially in our community. Yeah. Um, there are things that, you know, uh, specifically in the black community, right? There are, we have so much power within our community, man. We are the largest, uh, 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 we have the, the, the biggest spending power. Yeah. Uh, we're the largest consumers. Yeah. Um, which isn't necessarily the, 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 the uh, uh, the label that I think we want to carry on our banner, but right. given that we are spending money, there is power that comes with that. Yep. And so if we if we were a bit more uh, uh, coordinated, and if we were a bit educated and aware of that power, and we started to kind of look inwards, um, I think that there would be a lot of benefit to that. Yeah. Um, well, and to me, the finances speak upon some personal things too, because I think. Looking at finances, personal finance, I think I think a lot of times the way people spend money reflects on how they view life as well. And I think that what hap- right. what happens also is that when you don't know your own power, you can do you can just do stuff and and not even you're not even conscious of it. But once you become That's conscious, right. you once you become conscious of something like that, especially in terms of economic power, you think differently. You start to act differently. You start to live differently. You know what I mean? You know, the, you know, the fact that I know when things were happening around here locally last 10 or so years when, you know, people were fed up with the gas stations, how they did the boycotts and it was effective for that time being. And people saw the power in some of that stuff. But a lot of times, like you said, because everything else you mentioned before, 
when you mix all the isolation in, the, the fact that people are not having as much, they're not feeling like they have as much as they used to, the the survival mode that everybody's gotten into, it just like all that stuff is like extra thought, like a luxury thought as opposed to a necessary thought. You know what I mean? And so it's like it's hard for them mm. to grasp the higher level thought on how this country works in terms of the finances. So it's like that's the last on their radar. They, it's like they're unconscious when it comes to that now. And it's like cooperative capital is almost like a shakeup. Like, let me get you back to waking up. Let me wake you up a little bit because you do have power that you don't realize that you have. You know what I'm saying? That's right. That's right. And, 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 and I love everything you said, man. I really feel like I need to – I'm going to be listening to this, man. I'm going to start uh, taking your words yeah. <laughs> playbook. But um, – the one thing I want to say to add to that, man, is uh, I spoke specific to the black community, which is, is you know, me being black uh, is important to me. Yeah. But, but the bigger picture for us here, man, is we want to group together residents, period. So this is not a, a black thing. It's not a white thing. It's not an Asian thing. It's not a thing. This is a community thing. And the beauty about most of our communities is that we are increasingly across this nation made up of uh, uh, different peoples, races, values, religions, creeds, etc. And uh, one thing that we all can agree on, regardless of our backgrounds, is that uh, we're all interested in making more money. So now imagine, uh, part of the problem um, is that uh, uh, we've allowed superficial uh, issues to divide us. Yep. <laughs> and we all, and we, you know, we can say this, uh, we say it all the time and it's true that, you know, you, you take away those superficial, uh, and you actually look at the base of us as humans. And there are a lot more that connect us. We have, a, most, we have the same desires. Yep. We have the same, you know, most of us have the same needs and wants. Yep. And so in any event, through this, we see an opportunity for these, because the issue is that, because we are not interacting with people of different backgrounds as much, it allows us to hear stories about these people of different backgrounds. Right. And allows us to accept those stories and create our own uh, prejudices and preconceptions. Yep. Not necessarily based in reality. Right. And so through a situation like this, if my money is with you, whether I like you initially or not, I am now in a situation where I got to work together with you to grow that pot of money right. that we just invested with in our community. And I believe a byproduct of that is now, um, now I'm going to talk with you um, yep. because we are working together to grow this pot of money. And now I have a vehicle in which I can better understand you. I could now have a, 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 a conduit in which I get exposure and an opportunity to better understand where you are coming from. Right. And we find that wherever that's happened, I mean, people are typically come away, man, I thought that all these people were bad. And then I met this guy and man, he wasn't bad at all. And, and these people are bad and da, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, so we believe that that, that could also be a byproduct that comes from what we're doing here. Oh yeah. We're, we're very much looking forward, uh, to, 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 to trying to facilitate that and seeing that happen in practice. So. Yeah, and exactly. And then you're breaking down the barriers as well. All of the barriers we've are artificially put up in our society, this kind of effort helps break that because there are groups that get together that say, I may not like you, but let's make this money together. And then as they do more of that, they come to find you really didn't not like them at all. You just didn't know them and you were uncomfortable with That's somebody right. you didn't know. That's all it is. 
So let me. And you said what I said in, uh, in five minutes and in and, and thirty seconds. So yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. No, <laughs> well, thank you for. I mean, now I'm glad you. Uh, if you do my words, please feel free to do so. I won't charge you for it. I don't have any trademarks on my words, so please do. Um, now, let's get a little bit more personal, man. So where, in terms of where in your life did you see yourself being a doer and entrepreneur? Was it something you always wanted to do, or did you just happen to mm. come up with the idea all of a sudden? Or how, how, did that, how did that happen? So I started my first business when I was 14, man. Um, so I, I've been an entrepreneur. And even before I started my first business, I I did I, I was doing entrepreneurial type activity from a very young age, man. And so I think I think there's something to be said about early exposure. Um because early exposure just sets you up, right? And just awareness, right? It just yeah. sets you up. Yeah. Um so then allows you and then so 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 I've known that I wanted to be an entrepreneur for a very long time, and I think being an entrepreneur and a doer uh, are synonymous um, but I'll tell you this, man. I think, especially uh, when I look at a lot of my peers, right? Because I am a millennial. There, the uh, uh, being an entrepreneur has become almost uh, it's become uh, flashy, man. It's almost a buzzword. Yeah. I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's it's becoming celebrated in a way, and I, I'm not sure that most people understand what entrepreneurship is because right. this thing is not a beautiful sport, man. Right. At least it does not. It, it, it starts off beautiful. It starts off with typically a surge of inspiration, right? Oh, I got an idea that I think is really going to change something. Yeah. I'm really excited. And then you get out there and you start doing. And then the world has this way of basically helping you understand that you are not that special. Right. And you <laughs> and your idea is maybe either not that unique or it, it's too unique. For most people to understand, right? And so, any event, um, entrepreneurship, man, is not a pretty sport, right? It is, man. It's it's a, it's a, it's a uh, you could you could parallel it to boxing, man. You are going to get some punches, man, and yeah. you might get knocked down, yeah. several times, yeah. and you got you got to keep going, man. There are rounds, there are rounds in this entrepreneurship game, man. And and so, any event, um. When did I know that I was a true doer, man? I, I, like in the last few years, I, again, I started my first business when I was 14. I started seven businesses since. Um, Cooperative Capital is my seventh. Yeah. And uh, I'm just now learning I'm a doer. And that has actually a different, a different connotation for me because it means a bit more. It's a bit more meaningful. Um, it really means I'm an executor, man. I am, I've always known that I've been willing to work. It's one thing to be willing to work hard. And then there's a whole other thing to be willing to work hard for yourself when you have no one, because it's so much of our education or upbringing uh, essentially has you doing stuff because you're told to do something. Yeah. Right. So you think about education system. Yeah. Most of us didn't want to do that homework or, or take those tests or study or anything like that. We did it. Because we were told to, and there were uh, repercussions and consequences if you didn't. Right. And even in that system, some of us didn't do what we're supposed to do, right? So within, we, 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 we are upright in, in a system here where we are trained to do what someone tells us to do. Yeah. Um, that's most of what carries on into employment. So I find that when you, when you become an adult and you are working for yourself, 
it actually there's a process, man. There's a process of becoming effective at that because you essentially got to become disciplined and effectively have to start working on becoming a master of yourself to start and continue to do things when the inspiration is no longer there Uh, to do things when you rather man, just like Donald, I imagine there are 10 things that you could be doing that you might even rather be doing. You might just want to just chill out. Yep. Uh, on the TV. Sure. She was going on with uh, March Madness. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, you might just want to read a book. You might just want to whatever. You might just want to hang uh, with your, you know, with your uh, better half or whatever. Yeah. And here you are. Right. And, and that's what this sport calls for, man. It's a 24-7, 365 sport, man. And, oh, yeah. um, and unfortunately, man, I, I'm not sure that most of uh, uh, my millennial peers are truly uh, uh, appreciative of that fact. I think there are people of older generation or previous generation that better understand that given that not only are they older, so they have more experience. But I, I will say, and, and I, I think it's just because it's, it's interesting. In yeah. some ways, man, you can't, uh, a millennial will take down any other generation in certain uh, areas. And yeah. we do it in such a magnificent way that we should be extremely applauded and appreciated for. Yeah. I think we're underappreciated for some of that stuff. Yeah. But then in other areas, we do have our flaws and weak spot, uh, uh, and blind, um, we have, we have, we have our blind spots and our flaws in which I don't think most of us understand, uh, this type of struggle and have the, the willingness, uh, to persevere. Um, given that, uh, in some ways, uh, things have been, accessible to us things have come relatively easy uh in some in some fashion or it's been structured in such a way that you know we've kind of been sold false narratives that we you know it's not our fault that we now come and and the reality uh based on what we were told the reality is wildly different so a lot of us are are, are shocked and are dealing with it even think about uh college man and what college has done for so many of us man the average undergrad now is going to graduate with shy, uh, just shy of forty thousand dollars in debt. Yeah. But man, I learned I was a doer just a few years ago, man, and uh, and I've now taken that 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 doing and that execution to the next level. Um, and man, now I've gotten to a point where I'm just extremely, uh, uh, extremely good at what I'm doing, and I'm just having a hell of a time, man, of just uh, being more process oriented, more system oriented, and just getting tasks done. Okay. Taking something from beginning to completion. That wasn't that wasn't fun to me before. That wasn't sexy. It's now finally become sexy to me and I enjoy it, man. Well, good. In any event, good. um good. That's yeah, good to I'm hear. trying to spread that. <laughs> I'm trying to spread that to others, man, because that's what it takes uh to get to the finish line. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. That was gonna segue into my next question. So since you've had all the experience and now you feel you're seasoned with it, you know what it takes and you've, you've seen something from start to completion, what advice would you give people looking to go into leadership or entrepreneurship? What, what, what advice would you give them? Yeah. Um, great question. Um, the brief uh, answer is to get started um, because there's never a best time. Uh, uh, the best time is basically now. And I think the other thing that is, um, this is, if, if there are pieces you're going to take out of this, uh, uh, and highlight this is it. Well, I uh, so much of the things that when I started, I always felt that it needed to be a very big thing. And 
Uh, it needed to be big to inspire myself as well as inspire others. And man, now I've gotten very, very comfortable with, okay, it's, 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 it's good to dream big and to have that big vision, but then you got to break that thing down to the smallest, yeah, the smallest seed that you could get. So, so in, in, in tech, in the tech world, they got quote unquote MVPs, right? The minimum viable product. Right. Well, in the service-based world, and even for products I call, uh, or even for new initiatives, I, I'm calling the MVCs, man, the minimal viable concept. Okay. What is the smallest iteration that you could do that still has the seed of what you're planning to ultimately get to down the line uh, and start there? And yeah. don't, be, don't be ashamed to start extremely small, man. And oh, let, me make it, let me make it extremely uh, relevant. When I first started Cooperative Capital, we were going to try to do a $10 million community-based fund. Well, then we found through uh, the regulatory environment, we would have to start with a million-dollar fund. Well, scratch that, man. Even we were close to doing that, and we were just shy of getting there. We ran into some complications. And now, man, we're getting ready to get started with simply uh, 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 aggregating residents, uh, pulling their money to acquire one blighted, single family property. Wow. We're going to acquire this property. We're going to have a rehabilitated, a renovated, and we're going to sell it. Wow, now, bro, that, that is a far cry from a community-based fund that's going to invest in real estate, small businesses, and early stage enterprises, right? But that right there, man, is a proof of concept that we can get done from beginning to end in a three to six month time frame, And then more importantly, we could show people the power of collectively investing in the way that we would like to do in the far future. Yeah. So now we're basically walking people through this. And then after we do that, we're just going to kick it up. And I think the, the, the biggest thing I've learned and the thing I would express to people, man, is you can get started now. Uh, think big, but man, start small. It's, it's, it's oftentimes much better to start small because you'll be able to learn in a fashion that is uh, a lot less expensive right. than if you go for the big thing from the beginning and then you find out that you're off. But after, by the time you find out you're off, you spent all these money, resources, time, connections, people, you know, you might've gotten people mad because they really believed in you and you weren't able to deliver on what you wanted to do. Right. So there's no shame in starting small, man. Right. Um, and that's, that's what I express to people. And then start now, just get started. Yeah. Man, I'll, one last thing I'll say, man. Um, because I think that the art of the start, man, and, and, and people getting started, there's such a, for some people, there's such a fear to get started because we have this, if it doesn't come out perfect. And so we allowed that fear of not being perfect, uh, uh, stop us from even getting started. Yeah. I had this fear of writing, man. I, I realized that I was not, I might be an effective communicator through speech, um, but I was not as effective with my writing. Okay. So, man, I started just, <laughs> I just started like, let me let me take a step back, man. I will come up with a new concept. I would be scared or hesitant to start actually like writing down those concepts. What I started to do, man, is I'd open up a document and I would just write the title. Okay. If I could do that for the day, I won. And I would just come back day by day, man, and I would read what I wrote the day before and I would add a little bit, man. Okay. And man, those baby steps applied over a long period of time equal massive steps forward. Oh yeah. And so, uh, so 
even even just as much as putting together a business plan, man, take it day by day, step by step, and you'll get there as long as you continuously do that. Okay. So for all of you out there listening, if you had to rewind that, please do. Great nuggets of advice, golden nuggets of advice from the man, Kwaku Osei, the guy, the veteran. I mean, he's a guy out here doing it, folks, so please take heed. Thanks for listening to part one of our interview with Kwaku Osei, founder and CEO of Cooperative Capital. You can look them up on the web at www.cooperativecap.com. Again, that address is www.cooperativecap.com. To reach Kwaku directly, you can email him at ko at cooperativecap.com. Again, that's ko at cooperativecap.com. Cooperative Capital is also on Facebook, LinkedIn, and also on Twitter. The handle on Twitter is at symbol cooperative underscore cap. But you can also look them up on Facebook and LinkedIn as Cooperative Capital. Stay tuned for part two of our interview with Kwaku as he goes more into depth about his time in Detroit and his outlook on Detroit's future. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Bamboo Detroit, located in the heart of downtown Detroit. Bamboo Detroit specializes in co-working space and amenities for entrepreneurs and forward thinkers. Bamboo Detroit, where we do more together because Detroit is for doers. If you would like to support our podcast, you can become a sponsor of the Doers Network. We have gold, silver, and bronze packages available. If you have a business you would like to promote, you'll be able to reach over 10,000 listeners around the world each month at your fingertips. So if you want to reach our audience of founders, CEOs, innovators, and leaders, become a sponsor today. For more information, email us at info at bamboodetroit.com. We appreciate your support by subscribing to our podcast right here on the Doers Network. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Doers Podcast, where actives grow and thrive. The Doers Podcast is produced by Bamboo Detroit Network. For more information, visit us at bamboodetroit.com. <laughs>